Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zola. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa from an African perspective coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We are on DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802 and on www.channelafrica.co.za. I'm Lulu Gabu, in studio with Anne Musa, Tabisolo Hoko and Figile Lingwati. In our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at the Sawa, South Sudan leaders urge to form a unity government this month and African leaders prepare to attend the AU summit in Addis Ababa. In economics news, South Africa keen to attract investment from Germany and in sports news, Bangladesh reached first ever under-19 Cricket World Cup final. But first up, the news with Anne Musa. SABC News. Independent. And impartial. From an African perspective. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musa. A Rwandan woman has told the BBC that a shop was looted in the Malawian capital, Lilongwe, in xenophobic violence that fled up amid political tension in the country. She says she fled to Zaleka camp outside Lilongwe for safety, along with other Rwandans and Burundians. The violence follows the Constitutional Court's ca- uh, cancellation on Monday of last May's ele- election results. Looters report reportedly came in a mob and took advantage of the political uncertainty to attack foreigners and take their belongings. Vice President Saulos Chalima has condemned the attack, saying they were unacceptable and had to stop immediately. South Africa's Health Department in KwaZulu-Natal has denied reports of cases of coronavirus in the province. The province's health MEC, Nomagoku Similani Zulu, says there has been no laboratory confirmation of the virus in two patients who were isolated after exhibiting symptoms similar to the disease. One of them is being monitored in a state hospital and the other one in a private facility. Dr. Anban Pillay the acting director general of the National Department of Health. There are a number of, of, of cases that, that are sent to us where there's a, there's a level of suspicion depending on the presenting features. But to date, we've not got any case uh, that's positive. Neither do we have any case that meets what we call the full case definition. In other words, an individual that has been to the uh, area of the epicenter of, of this outbreak or has been in contact with people in the epicenter and uh, is within the incubation period or thereafter presenting with symptoms. Four Chinese nationals have been quarantined at a hotel in Mozambique's capital, Maputo, as part of measures to prevent the spread of the new coronavirus. They were taken to the Chinese-owned hotel after arriving last Thursday at the international airport from China, where the outbreak has killed more than 560 people. The news became public after one of the hotel's staff members told state broadcaster Radio Mozambique that there was a great deal of alarm amongst his colleagues. The Maputo health authorities, however, say those under quarantine do not show any symptoms of the virus and it's solely a preventative measure. Rescue workers in Zimbabwe are continuing the search for about 20 illegal miners trapped underground after a shaft collapsed on Wednesday night. Two miners have died and one was rescued and rushed to hospital, who is reportedly in a critical condition. The incident happened at the Globe and Phoenix gold mine in the central town of Kwekwe, around 200 kilometers west of the capital, Harare. Zimbabwean authorities say they can't confirm the number of missing miners as they were still working illegally. Legally at night, the mine was closed in 2007 on the advice of the Environmental Management Authority. U.S. President Donald Trump has confirmed that U.S. forces have killed the leader of al-Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula, Qasim al-Raymi, in Yemen, the BBC's David Bamford reports. At the end of January, American media quoted U.S. officials as saying they were confident that Qasim al-Raymi, the leader of al-Qaeda on the Arabian Peninsula, had been killed in the al-Baida area of Yemen. 
His death has been reported, then discounted several times before. For five years, he eluded capture despite several attempts by U.S. special forces. Now, President Trump has issued a statement apparently confirming the killing. He said al-Rami's death brings America closer to eliminating the threats that al-Qaeda and other groups pose to U.S. national security. And that's the news headlines at 7.30 Central African Time. SABC News. Independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Welcome to Change Your Game here on Channel Africa, the African perspective. We're coming to you from Johannesburg in South Africa. My name is Asanda Peta. What uh, GDF Forum is about and what an opportunity it provides specifically for the audience of Change Your Game. At Change Your Game, we believe entrepreneurs are the key drivers of tomorrow's African innovations and essential to creating a thriving African economy. More support, just like invest more in young creatives and entrepreneurship, but actually do it, don't just talk about it, actually do it, you know, because there are a lot of creative minds, there are a lot of intelligent human beings in our country, so I think they should invest more in that and take it seriously, because it's a real thing. Catch us every Friday at 900 hours Central African time with Channel Africa, the African Perspective. South Africa is urging parties to South Sudan's 2018 peace agreement to form a unity government on the 22nd of this month. This is despite the signatories so far failing to reach an agreement on the makeup of new states. The issue of the administrative units in South Sudan is now being referred to the African Union. Patrick Oyet has more. South Africa, which is mediating on the contentious issues in South Sudan's 2018 peace process, says the parties are yet to reach an agreement on the issue of number and boundaries of states in the country. Pretoria is, however, calling on the parties not to let the disagreement delay formation of a new government. So we can be trying everything, do everything, and disregard the people of South Sudan. So somewhere, whatever consultation we do, we must feature the people of South Sudan. The opposition group led by designated Vice President Riek Machar insists there has to be agreement on the makeup of local government before a unity government is formed. Henry Odoar is the deputy chairman of SPLMAIO is the issue of the number of states and their boundaries together with security arrangements. These are the barest minimum. Without these two issues being resolved, we in the opposition, we in I.O., we will not come into government. South Sudan's government says resolving all outstanding issues before forming the unity government means there will be more delays. Michael Markway is South Sudan's information minister. No more extension. Because the people of South Sudan are fed up of extensions, so we need to continue, establish the transitional government of national unity, and then continue with the consultation process. The contentious issues are now being referred to the African Union. The AU is expected to hold a summit over the weekend to try to resolve the impasse in South Sudan's peace process. Patrick Oyet, Juba, South Sudan.
It's 7.09 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Now, African ministers have been putting the final touches to their vision of a revitalized African peer review mechanism ahead of the AU summit in Addis Ababa this weekend. Key among the proposals to be made to heads of state and government will be getting more countries on board the voluntary self-governance system and a push for more and better self-assessment by member countries, Busichimombe reports. The African peer review mechanism must be aligned with the African Union's vision of a peaceful and democratic continent. With South Africa taking over the chair of both bodies, Public Service Minister and South Africa's APRM focal point head, Senzom Tuno, believes that the body can do much towards permanently silencing the guns. I know our president uh, is quite worried, for instance, about uh, uh, conflict in parts of Africa that has uh, um, uh, been extended. You know, we've witnessed this for an extended time. And in some cases, um, Africa not playing uh, uh, its role and so on. So those are some of the matters that we will um, uh, put high on our agenda to make sure that we give support to the to the um, uh, to our president as uh, the chair of the AU. Mkunu says that as chair of the body, aimed at making Africa's leaders accountable to their citizens, South Africa will be pushing for more and better participation by member states. There are so many member states that have already joined the APRM, 38 of them out of 54. And then there are two that are going to be discussed and possibly admitted on the 8th by the heads of states. We will discuss it here as ministers and then make, a recommenda- make recommendations. But we will also not just add numbers, but we'll encourage consistent reports that assessment reports must generally and regularly be produced just to measure progress, just to ensure that all of us are online. CEO of the APRM Secretariat, Edima Loka, says while there has been an improvement in terms of economic and corporate governance on the continent, more must be done to improve political governance, democracy and issues of human rights. He says he is hoping that Ramaphosa, as the incoming chair of the APRM, will foster more candidness amongst the leaders. Sometimes in Africa we, 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 are, we, we, we spend more time congratulating each other, which is very, very good. But we want APRM, and that's what, they, that's what the initial intention, that the leaders should congratulate each other, but at the same time they should also be frank towards each other. Maluka says he's optimistic about the growth of the APRM that is scheduled to have all Africa's countries signed up to it by 2023. He says, however, the quality of a country's participation is key in better governance outcomes. We know that South Africa is quite keen to, it's actually prioritizing universal access, accession. So we'll work with South Africa. But as the APRM, I mean, for us uh, as a continental secretariat, we think that it's, it's important that the countries that join are ready to do so because APRM comes with obligations. You must subject yourself to reviews, you must open your doors, you must do certain things that you don't do under the African Union. The ministers will be presenting their report and recommendations on the APRM to the heads of state and government on Saturday, the 8th of February. That report by Busi Chimombe in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. In each and every one of us, there is a purpose and grace. We were all meant to shine. It is up to an individual to realize that purpose. Don't ever let somebody tell you. You can't do something. Join me, Amanda Machaga, on Life by Design, where I will be talking to people who share their journey on how they discovered their purpose with the hope to inspire you to, to live, live your life, life by, by design. design. Tune in to Life by Design for your dose, dose of Monday, Monday motivation. motivation every Monday at 8 a.m. Central African time and at 2 a.m. the following day. Life, life by, by Design, design. Be, be the architect of your life. life. Only on Channel Africa, the African, the African perspective. perspective. Germany has vowed to work with South Africa and help it overcome its energy crisis. The Germans will also provide vocational training to young people in the country. This came out during Chancellor Angela Merkel's working visit to the country on Thursday. 
In his response, President Cyril Ramaphosa emphasized the need to increase investment by over 600 German companies operating in the country. Ndebo Mugobo has more. Relations between South Africa and Germany date back many years ago, and strong economic ties bear testimony to this. South Africa is Germany's biggest trading partner in Africa, while Berlin is Pretoria's second largest trading peer in the EU bloc. But not all is well for both countries. Germany will have to overcome its own divisions, while South Africa grapples with many challenges. Currently, the country's state-owned enterprises are in a crisis, with its power utility ESCOM failing to keep the lights on. But German Chancellor Angela Merkel has vowed to help. One particular issue that is of great concern to you is energy supply. We would like to support you, particularly as regards, for example, extending, expanding um, the use of renewables, but also using uh, renewables in a sustainable way because they uh, are far less uh, constant um, than other sources of energy. Uh, we've also talked about the possible replacement of old uh, coal-fired power plants. We talked about a possible role for uh, natural gas. We talked about our climate relations in Europe, how we deal with this issue. And this was good news for President Cyril Ramaphosa, who recently crisscrossed the globe in search for foreign potential investors. And with the trade balance narrowing and opportunities in abundance, President Ramaphosa says Pretoria is looking forward to grab this opportunity with both hands. We had really extensive and very informative discussions on energy, and the Chancellor was able to share the German experience, how they have been able to move away, say, from coal-fired power stations and get into renewables, and how they are looking forward to 2038 when coal will no longer be a contributor to their energy source. We are still at 89% reliant on coal, but we have started our journey on renewables. So South Africa is, is on a journey of ensuring that we do have energy sources that are mixed. Beyond their borders, not only will the two leaders serve as non-permanent members of the UN Security Council this year, they will also chair their respective continental bodies, the AU and the European Union. And for his part, President Ramaphosa's main task is to meet the AU's self-imposed deadline of silencing the gun by the end of 2020, with Libya uppermost in his mind. The problem of uh, Libya clearly has to be resolved. And as Africans, we would always like to see African problems being resolved by Africans. And we are particularly pleased that our partners are willing and prepared to listen to what Africans have to say and the solutions that Africans would like to bring to the table. And Chancellor Merkel will have to deal with challenges presented by Britain's exit from the EU bloc. Yes, the United Kingdom has in effect uh, left the European Union. What will follow now will be months of intensive discussions, negotiations, because the United Kingdom has to tell us how exactly they envisage the relationship with the European Union. In the long run, this will turn to a free trade agreement where there are some areas uh, where we have um, very clear obligations. Um, Again, President Ramaphosa and Chancellor Merkel are scheduled to co-chair the Africa-EU summit later this year. I am Tebumokobo in Pretoria. I am an African. I owe my being to the hills and the valleys, the mountains and the glades, the rivers, the deserts, the trees, the flowers, the seas, and the ever-changing seasons that define the face of our native land. Masterclass Africa, where great minds connect. An explorative one-on-one talk show that seeks to tackle issues of leadership and consciousness on the African continent and around the world. Masterclass comes to you every Fridays, 8 o'clock to 9 o'clock Central African Time. Channel Africa, bringing you the African Perspective.
South Africa's National Assembly Speaker Tandi Mudise has confirmed that public protector Busisu Mkwebane's lawyers will serve them with court papers to halt the process to initiate her possible removal from office. Mudise was answering media questions during a briefing on preparations for the State of the Nation address. The Speaker also says Parliament has not made any special preparations for any possible disruptions during the State of the Nation address next week. Mercedes Percent has more from Cape Town. Mkwebane's court challenge comes after Mudise approved a DA motion to initiate the process of possibly removing her from office. The National Assembly rules that were passed towards the end of last year outline the processes that have to be followed to initiate the removal of heads of Chapter 9 institutions. Mkwebane says these rules are unlawful and unconstitutional. Mudise confirms that Mkwebane is taking them to court. Yes, we have been busy with the lawyers of the public protector. We do know that uh, we do not yet have a court date appearance, but we are in the process of um, attending to what the lawyers have said. They are saving us with papers, and that is in order. We are in a democracy otherwise. Following the media briefing, Mudise told journalists that Parliament has no special interest in Mkwebane's possible removal. She says the Constitution allows Parliament to determine its own rules in line with the Constitution. We are very confident as Parliament that we have no special interest in the matter. We have a motion in front of us which in terms of the rules we cannot ignore. But please remember that Parliament is enabled by the Constitution to make its own processes, to determine its rules, to do the internal processes. Also remember that all the Chapter 9 institutional heads and boards are established in terms of processes outlined by Parliament. They are appointed, yes, from the executive, but the processes, the adverts, the determination of whatever, whatever is done by the Parliament. So it does not look out of order that Parliament will then have a process which then removes. On preparations for SONA next week, the Speaker says the joint rules of Parliament will apply if there are any disruptions. One of the questions that was asked to Mudise related to the EFF's threats to interrupt President Cyril Ramaphosa's SONA speech if he has not fired Public Enterprises Minister Praveen Gordhan. Mudise says the only item on the agenda for the sitting will be the President's address to the nation. That is the only item we are going to entertain. We are entertaining that item because the State of the Nation Address agenda is actually determined by the President in terms of that section of the Constitution when he asks to be hosted. So the agenda is that of the President. And no, we have no plan under or behind scenes to do anything. Any joint sitting is held and is chaired in accordance with the joint rules of that sitting and that is the only thing that we will be applying. We have not and we do not intend to go out of our way to plan anything extraordinary. The rules of the joint sittings will apply. More than two million rand has been set aside for SONA. Mudise says well-known young Chitsonga praise poet Masingi Tashibambu, known as Intombi Yamutsonga, has been chosen to be the Imbongi during the State of the Nation address. While costs on other activities have been minimized, Mudise says the services of a praise singer will be retained. In keeping with the character of this institution as an African parliament, an Imbongi, a traditional poet will recite the poem as the procession led by the head of state state is ushered into the National Assembly. A young poet, Ms. Masingita Shibambo, also known as Indombi Yamtsonga from Matiani village in Malumulele, will, has been selected as the Imbongi for the Sona. She will recite in Tsitsonga. The languages of um, poetry are considered, I'm sure you are aware, on a rotational basis and they say it is 
the chance for the Sitonga language. Mudise says Parliament is ready to host what would be the second State of the Nation address in the same financial year, which ends at the end of March. She says the guests who have so far confirmed their attendance of SONA are former presidents Thabo Mbeki and Khalima Mutlante, former Deputy President F.W. De Klerk, former Deputy President and former National Assembly Speaker Baleka Mbete, as well as former Speaker of the First Parliament, Frin Jinwala. That report by Mercedes Percent in Cape Town. As South Africa's President Cyril Ramaphosa prepares to deliver the State of a Nation address next week, the EFF says it will decide this weekend whether or not it will disrupt this year's SONA. The party is currently meeting for its first plenum for the year comprising of the Central Command team in Centurion, Pretoria, until Sunday. Abongile Dumako reports. The EFF leadership meeting for the first time in the new year. The annual plenum is said to take place until Sunday, which is a strategic planning meeting of the party comprising of the regional, provincial and national leadership. It is where the party is to decide whether to disrupt the State of the Nation address by President Cyril Ramaphosa next week or not. Secretary-General of the EFF, Marshal Lamini, says they'll be discussing, among other things, how the left forces, including AMCO, SAFTU and FEDUSA, can unite to fight the wrong interferences at the country's SOEs. He says for SONA, South Africans will know in due time if the EFF will disrupt proceedings. The party has said it will make sure Ramaphosa doesn't address the nation if he still has Praveen Godan as Minister of Public Enterprises. Dlamini elaborates. But, uh, the left forces must unite. There are, there are people who are seeking to undermine and sell the state-owned companies which belongs to the people of South Africa. So in terms of the actual actions with dates and time, because that's what you are interested on, that's what we're going to we assist with as a leadership uh, from regions, uh, provinces, and national leadership to deal with. So now it's part of that, it's part of that program. It's a program of action for the year. So it's going to give you a date and time. That's why we couldn't resolve about SONA at the NPA because that's a five-year program. The AFF says it won't be drawn into speculation about its two provincial chairpersons who are said to be in negotiation with Herman Mashaba, intending to join his new party. Recently, EFF leader Julius Malema tweeted the former Johannesburg mayor, saying he must fast track the process as he heard that there are two of his provincial chairpersons from a coastal and inland province who want to join Mashaba. But EFF Secretary General Marshal Lamini says nothing has come to them formally in this regard. He says all they want to see is to continue with the revolution. No, but he said to Herman Mashaba, we hear that there are people that are talking to you. Uh, fast track that because it's not uh, confirmed information. That's why I was responding to him direct to say if that is the case, just fast track uh, that process so that you don't delay the revolution. We are busy, we are focusing on the program of action on the mandate that were given by the so NPA. So, we don't know this. No, we don't know. We don't know so that. But immediately we know of them. Uh, we'll, we'll tell you. The State of the Nation address will take place at the National Assembly in Cape Town next week, Thursday. I'm Abongile Tumago in Pretoria. United States President Donald Trump insists he was treated very unfairly and that those who led the impeachment against him were horrible, evil and vicious people. Trump spoke both at an early morning prayer breakfast and later in the East Room of the White House to slam those who pursued him through impeachment and to thank and lavish praise on Republican lawmakers, including... Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, who stood firmly behind him throughout the process. Sharon Barspeace reports. Brandishing the front page of a newspaper with the headline, Trump acquitted at the annual prayer breakfast in Washington, with his nemesis Speaker Nancy Pelosi sharing the same stage. As everybody knows, my family, our great country, and your president have been put through a terrible ordeal by some very dishonest and corrupt people. They have done everything possible to destroy us and by so doing very badly hurt 
our nation. They know what they are doing is wrong, but they put themselves far ahead of our great country. Weeks ago and again yesterday, courageous Republican politicians and leaders had the wisdom, fortitude, and strength to do what everyone knows was right. He would later host those Republican leaders at the White House to laud them for their efforts in blocking Democratic attempts to remove him from office, a House majority that believed the President violated his oath of office in demanding an investigation from a foreign power into a political opponent while withholding military aid from them, and then obstructing congressional oversight into those actions. But the President maintains he did nothing wrong. I mean, it worked out. We went through hell unfairly. Did nothing wrong. Did nothing wrong. And there's nothing from a legal standpoint. This is a political thing. And every time I'd say, this is unfair, let's go to court, they say, sir, you can't go to court. This is politics. And we were treated unbelievably unfairly. And you have to understand, uh, we first went through Russia, Russia, Russia. It was all bull****. We then went through the Mueller report. Earlier, the House Speaker Nancy Pelosi thanked her impeachment managers for what she called a magnificent job in making their case against the president. The Senate has spoken in terms of any punishment to the president. He's impeached forever, no matter what he says or whatever headlines he wants to carry around. You're impeached forever. You're never getting rid of that scar. Uh, and history will always record that you were impeached for undermining the security of our country, jeopardizing the integrity of our elections, and violating the Constitution of the United States. She also heaped praise on the sole Republican Senator Mitt Romney, who voted to remove the president over the abuse of power charge, and who has since been the subject of vicious attacks from the president and his supporters. What he said about Senator Romney was particularly without class. What did he say? There's some people who use faith as an excuse to do the wrong thing. So you remember what he said about Romney? You got that there? What a, what a, it was so inappropriate at a prayer breakfast. As the battle lines appear drawn, with the focus now shifting to the presidential election this November, which will also determine control of both the House and the Senate. I'm Sherman Bricepies in New York. Our headlines up next with Anne Musa. SABC News, independent and impartial. From an African perspective. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musan. The headlines that a Rwandan woman has told the BBC that a shop was looted in the Malawian capital, Lilongwe, in xenophobic violence that flared up amid political tension in the country. South Africa's health department in KwaZulu-Natal has denied reports of cases of coronavirus in the province. And rescue workers in Zimbabwe are continuing the search for about 20 illegal miners trapped underground after a shaft collapsed on Wednesday night. Those are the stories making headlines. SABC News, independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. Kultonjoy for Channel Africa Radio in Ethiopia's capital, Addis Ababa. Reporting for Channel Africa, I'm Hilda Kekeloa in Zambia. Our cutting-edge and hard-hitting journalism leaves no stone unturned, giving you the whole picture every time. George Muhango, Channel Africa, Blantyre. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is Moki Kinzeka. In Yaoundi. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja, informing the world about Africa. Join us every day and know what is happening around you. Channel Africa. Companies are increasingly softening the to the 
to the ideas of remote working and FlexiTime as the understanding of the importance of employee wellness on productivity starts gaining ground. This and other noteworthy trends have emerged from an annual human resources survey conducted by Jack Hammer, an African independent executive search firm with offices across the continent as well as Los Angeles. For more on this, we are joined on the line by Advatya Naidu, the Chief Operations Officer of Jack Hammer. Advatya, good morning and thank you for joining us on Africa Rise and Shine. Hi, thanks for having me. Now, how was this survey conducted and how many companies were polled? So we polled um, senior HR directors from about uh, 28 major companies across South Africa. Our sample was quite varied. It was fintech, financial services, health, education, retail, media. And we actually asked them open-ended responses. We didn't want to box them into um, any sort of categories. And we allowed the stories to emerge um, to understand what strategies companies are using to drive employee engagement. Now, how does South African companies fare in comparison to those in other parts of the world? So in some ways, we're still a little bit behind, um, especially uh, American startup type companies and the larger financial services houses. But actually, we're not doing too badly. You know, when it comes to remote working, about 54% of our respondents said they definitely offer it. Um, They have flexible hours. They have, you know, nice engaging workspaces. So we're doing not too badly uh, as compared to the international stage, but there is still room to grow. And how are some of these, uh, um, you know, most popular new ways of working reported by South African companies polled? What are their response, um, you know, in terms of um, turnaround time, deliverables and, and so on, the companies that have tried them out? So I think what we're seeing here is a shift in culture. So you know, um, a lot of it is sometimes semantics. You know, you talk about moving from policy to protocol, and you talk about being outcomes versus process driven, and, and the companies are talking about work-life integration and not like work-life balance. So what it comes down to is that the semantics embody a culture of trust. All school managers are still struggling with this, um, but when companies show that they're serious about how their teams are being empowered to do their work, they are seeing better impact on the outcomes. So, you know, the companies are realizing that different people respond to different work environments. They respond to different work hours. And as long as the work is getting done in the time allotted, it shouldn't matter how and where it's getting done, which is why they're making the shift. But it's easier to implement it in a small startup that is just getting off the ground than it is in a, in a, in a larger company. Um, and it is sometimes unfair to roll it out uh, across only one management layer. And this is something that companies are grappling with. But the point is that they're still attempting to try it. Um, and they're not saying no as a bank rule. Now, are there any challenges to introducing new employee-focused policies? Yeah, I mean, obviously, I think the, the first thing is that um, when it comes to trust, it really has to be something that's in both and in age. Um, you have to take that leap of faith that people are going to um, do what they say they're going to do, and you, you don't have to wait for them to prove that they can do it. The other thing is that, obviously, as I said, in the larger companies, it's difficult to roll out because you have entrenched systems in place. You've already um, paid a lot of facilities management for your existing office. So now to move people to off-site solutions um, with off-site tech, it is quite expensive. Um, and then it is actually ensuring that people meet their deliverables. And when people work away from each other, um, in the case of remote working, you then have to ensure that they do still remain engaged with each other as a team. Now, what do companies stand to lose if they fail to adapt their policies to keep up with the changing um, work-life approach of new generations of workers? Well, I mean, obviously, we know that the competition for talent, um, it's a war out there. Uh, You know, sometimes not as much in South Africa because we do have a very high unemployment rate. And in some cases, yes, people want to take a job um, that guarantees them financial security. But in the markets that we work in, in the very highly skilled and developed markets, demand for skills um, is very high. The skills are in short supply and people are more likely to go to a company that will offer them this flexibility. 
Now, just, uh, you know, you mentioned different industry sectors, companies mm-hmm. that uh, were polled, yep. you know, whether um, in the me- in media space, uh, mm-hmm. you know, finance, uh, financing and, all, and so on. Um, mm-hmm. Companies, uh, well, companies that we've already heard of, already doing, um, you know, changing towards uh, employee-focused policies um, in the banking industry, for instance, yeah. they're already um, rolling out such policies. And you hear of people working from home and only going mm-hmm. into the office once a week do you think that uh, um, this could work for all industries um, apart from manufacturing obviously because they (laughs) have to be there but uh, you know most industries that are already doing it and uh, um, could uh, uh, easily migrating and saying it's working for us Absolutely, yeah. So uh, definitely financial services and fintech are far ahead. Retail's not far behind. Manufacturing is obviously going to struggle. Um, the ones that we were quite surprised with are education and the sort of NGO sector. Um, a lot of work can be delivered remotely um, and in different ways uh, at different hours in these sectors, but we were quite surprised. And I think it's more because those tr- um, industries are traditionally just slower to adapt in terms of their ways of working. So not in terms of what they deliver, but just the the way in which they go about it. Um, I think also there is... Yeah, there is resistance when the industry um, or the company is smaller and leaner. They do see it as a big capital outlay, which they would rather deploy elsewhere. Well, we'll see as uh, time goes on. And, uh, you know, we develop as a country and uh, change with the times. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Advatia, for joining us this morning. That's uh, Advatia Naidu, COO of Jackhammer, Africa's largest independent executive search firm, joining us on the line. Follow Channel Africa on these social media platforms on Facebook, Channel Africa One, on Twitter, at Channel Africa One, and YouTube on Channel Africa Radio. Our website, www.channelafrica.co.za. Channel Africa, from an African perspective. Rwanda has launched its state-of-the-art cancer treatment facility, making the East African country a hub for medical tourism. Rwandans have traditionally been crossing over to developed countries to seek sophisticated medical care before their government took up an ambitious decision of building cancer treatment centers, which serve not only Rwandans, but other patients from neighboring states. Silvanus Karamera reports from Kigali. Some have uh, two machines of this type can work on the basis of on and off. So for example, now that we are delivering the treatment without this is a Peter hospital in northern part of Rwanda, which has been in existence for the past eight years. The hospital has got the capacity of receiving more than 60 cancer patients per day and is dedicated to both nationals and regional patients. Gabriel Migambi is a Burundian national currently admitted at Butaro Hospital. I came here with a bad condition. I was profusely nose bleeding. Things were not such easy. Upon my arrival, I was diagnosed with cancer. And since then, doctors have closely been following up on me. And I am fine now. We are provided with three meals per day. And all are free of charge. The 150 bed facility was built as a start of the Rwandan government ambition of tackling cancer by reducing, if not cutting off, the huge number of Rwandans going abroad for cancer treatment. Speaking at the time of inauguration of a hospital, President Prohagame had said the construction of this hospital was a unique story of exceptional people with a desire to see positive change in the world and in communities. Eight years later, Rwanda has inaugurated the second state-of-the-art cancer treatment center equipped with up-to-date facilities. It is located at Rwanda Mental Hospital in Kigali. The center is equipped with two linear accelerators using volumetric modulated arc therapy, a technology that accurately administers radiation to a tumor while minimizing the dose to the organs surrounding it to avoid complications that can arise when radiation reaches organs that don't need it. This is opposed to the outdated forms of radiotherapy like 2D, which involved more risks of radiation reaching surroundings, part of the tumor, which would jeopardize the patient's health with the complications in the future. 
Rwanda's Minister for Health, Dr. Diane Gashumba, said the construction of this facility is a big step towards amplifying the fights against cancer in Rwanda and in the region. Our fight against cancer started from the cell level where we educate the citizens on the different types of cancers and how they can prevent them, but also where they can get the services. We also do this through the car-free days and our health centers and hospitals can now test and detect cancer, especially like ovarian cancer. The center started offering services in March 2019 and to date, 317 patients have been treated. President Programme speaking during inauguration of this facility said, We have been spending large sums of money to send a few patients abroad each year for cancer treatment. Large sums of money. We don't have a lot of money in the first place. But then large sums of money treating a few patients. So, but we have many patients to treat. So we need to take that into account. And that's really the importance of the center we have here and uh, what we see in the near future as the expansion of it to accommodate many other things. Now many more Rwandans will be able to get uh, the care they need with their families close by. The International Agency for Research on Cancer estimates for the year 2018 indicate that around 10,704 new cancer cases were registered per annum. And, and that report by Silvanus Karamera. It's 7.45 and our economics updates up next with Tabi Soluhuk. Good morning. South African President Cyril Ramaphosa has urged German and South African businesses to explore cooperation in the fields of clean and renewable energy. Ramaphosa chaired the South Africa-Germany Business Roundtable along with his German counterpart Angela Merkel in the capital Pretoria on Thursday. Germany plans to exit coal-powered energy in 2038. Ramaphosa says South Africa can learn a lot from German technology. Our collaboration is all the more critical as we strive to meet our obligations under the Paris Agreement to combat climate change. Low carbon growth that is climate change resilient is in the end a fundamental tenet of our national development plan and we look eagerly to the enhanced collaboration between local companies and their counterparts in Germany in rolling out appropriate technologies in pursuit of this important objective. The South African trade union, NUMSA, has expressed shock at SAA's decision to cancel all but one of its domestic routes, as well as some international services. The airline announced on Thursday that it has taken the decision together with the business rescue practitioners in an effort to make SAA profitable and sustainable. Unions have argued that the move will result in thousands of job losses. NUMSA spokesperson Pagamile Khubi Machola says that the unions were not consulted about the decision. We are quite shocked and dismayed by the decision to cancel so many routes. I mean, this is going to have a <coughs> devastating impact on the workforce. Uh, it's, it's really, really... Um, you know, what they've done today is it, we just can't express mm. how, how shocked we are. But what I think worsened the situation is that as we were actually engaging on this issue, they went and issued a statement to the media to show you that there was no consultation with Labour. Um, to date, we don't have a business rescue plan. So how do they justify why they need to take such decisions? South Africa's labor unions say the University of South Africa management is playing hide-and-seek with them. UNISA employees have been on strike since last week, demanding a salary increase. 
They are demanding an 8% wage increase, but the university is offering 6.3%. National Education, Health and Allied Workers Union, the House Branches Secretary at UNISA, Tembane Baloi, says UNISA is negotiating in bad faith. They've taken a stance that they're not going to come back to the table. They want us to go back to work. They want to force us to take the 6.3, which we have told them that is negotiating in bad faith because we need to find one another and come up with an amicable solution. But up to so far, you can see we come every day. We have told them that they were available. All they did was to serve us with papers to come to court today, as we are now. We are defending the court interdict that they want to bring to us and nullify the strike. Kenya and the United States have signed an amendment to the U.S.-Kenya Air Transport Agreement, which will see easier movement of goods between the two countries. The amendments, which adds all cargo rights to the existing air transport agreement, is expected to offer air carriers greater flexibility to meet customers' cargo and express delivery needs more efficiently. It adds a seventh freedom traffic rights for all cargo operations, meaning cheaper cost and efficiency in cargo movement. The Namibia Airports Company has renewed operating licenses for three out of the country's airports and has promised to continue ensuring the safety and security of all travellers. In a statement released on Thursday, the state-owned entity said the three airports that had their licenses renewed are the Hosea Kotako International Airport, Volvos Bay International Airport and Andimba Dui. Now, the licenses will be valid for 12 months and were issued between November 2019 and this month. The US dollar, 362.15, Nigerian Nara, 10.75, Botswana Pula, 99.28, Kenyan Shilling and 14.60, Zambian Gwacha. In BRICS currencies, one US dollar will cost you 4.24, Brazilian roll, 63.6, Russian ruble, 71.11, Indian rupee, 6.96, Chinese yuan and 14.82 to the South African rand. 77 pence British pound, 90 cents euro, golden thousand, five sixty-seven dollars platinum, nine sixty-one dollars pounds, a brand crude oil, fifty-five dollars, a thirty cents a barrel. Africa, rise and shine. Our sports update up next with Figile Lingwati. In our sports update, we begin with swimming news. International Swimming Federation, FINA, announced last night that former world record holder and Olympic gold medalist, Ryan Skuman, has been suspended for doping. Fina says the South African, who is 39 and was training for the 2020 Olympics in the hope of qualifying for the event, tested positive in May 2019 for a prohibited product from the family of hormonal and metabolic modulators. Skuman has been suspended until the 17th of May 2020. The swimming competition in Tokyo starts on the 25th of July, which means he still would be eligible for event should he make the South African team. He was part of the winning South African 4x100-meter relay team at the 2004 Olympics in Athens in Greece, a triple world champion and held world records in butterfly and freestyle. Skuman can appeal to the Court of Arbitration for Sport in Lausanne. And in cricket news now, in Protea's spin brawler, Tebrez Shamsi is expecting a strong backlash from England when the second one-day international is played out in Devon today. South Africa won the opening game of the three-match series by seven wickets in Cape Town on Tuesday, with the 29-year-old playing a key role thanks to a telling bowling display in which he mystified the touring baseman to claim three for 38. But Shamsi says that game is history now, and he feels that the 2019 World Cup winners will be desperate to bounce back at King's Mid. Yeah, of course. You know, they're the world champions. They've got unbelievable players in their squad. You know, a lot of uh, chat has been about them resting players. 
Uh, we've also rested players, and it doesn't really matter. Ultimately, it's South Africa against England, and they are the world champions. And the, the, if you look at their batting lineup, I'm a bowler. I look at the batting lineup. It's, it's, it's class, you know. Like there's guys up to like number 10, 11 that can bat. So it's it's, it's you play against the best team in the world, and that's quite exciting, um, you know, to be able to produce what we did in Cape Town. And it's even nicer that we get another opportunity to do something like that again. Mahmoudul Hassam Joy hit a century as Bangladesh defeated New Zealand by six wickets to book a clash against holders India in the final of the Under-19 Cricket World Cup. Mahmoudul made 100 of 127 balls as Bangladesh knocked off New Zealand. Totals of 2011 rather for eight with almost six overs remaining to reach the final for the first time. Tokyo Olympics organizers have set up a task force to coordinate with public health authorities on how to respond to the growing coronavirus epidemic. Tokyo 2020 CEO Toshiro chaired the newly created novel Coronavirus Countermeasures Task Force, which held its meet, first meeting on the 4th of February. As you would expect, coronavirus was discussed during this project review. The outbreak so far has had minimal impact on the Games preparations for both the IPC and Tokyo 2020. And we are going about our plans as expected with athlete health and well-being, and well-being remaining our top priority. Running, you know, that's your sport news this hour. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Recapping our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at the Sawa, South Sudan leaders urge to form a unity government this month and African leaders prepare to attend AU Summit in Addis Ababa. That wraps up Africa Rise and Shine today. And for the week, for myself, Lulu Gabu, producers Pumusura Magadza and Tutongobeni, technical producer Mario Edwards and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at infochannelafrica.org or tweet us at Rise Shine Africa. Taking us to the top of the hour, for the news is MDCL featuring Kenzie with a song titled Hayakaya.
can't die. 